0: presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is Up Podcasts is your favorite podcast host, John Gabriel, on your favorite podcast, The King of Stuff. Before we begin the interview with special guest, Dr. Jay Richards, I wanted to remind you that at least for a limited time, I'm placing all the interviews in video form, of course, on YouTube, and there's a link in the show notes, so please subscribe to my tiny little John Gabriel YouTube channel. I would much appreciate it. Tens of people watch the Spencer Clavin video. Uh, You can watch that as well. Um, Hopefully it'll be up to dozens of people watching the next one. But as I said last week, a lot of people consume their uh, podcast-ish content on YouTube. So I went, I'm going to start uploading at least the interview part. Not me babbling because I stop and start a million times and slurp coffee and need to edit all that stuff out when I'm just yammering by myself. And with no further ado, here is Dr. Richards and uh, I'll yammer about the news of the week on the other side. Very happy to welcome first time guest J.W. Richards, Ph.D. He is a research fellow, the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow, I should say, at Heritage Foundation Foundation. Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute, which you can find podcasts here on Ricochet and also executive editor of the stream. He has written 3000 books. I I couldn't get through all the title, but many, many books. Um, A few of the most recent ones um, in 2020, I believe, Eat Fast Feast, kind of helping Christians recover this ancient habit of uh, fasting. Um, and uh, also The Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. Dr. Richards, thanks for being on. Oh, it's great to be with you. Yeah, it's – we. I think at some point we met at a conference, but every conference blurs together for me because – They're all in hotel conference rooms and I can't tell the two apart. But um, so we kind of and follow each other on Twitter, things like that. But one thing that you've been tenacious about that I really wanted to talk Mm -hmm. about is the whole issue in our culture of gender confusion. Now, I just wrote a piece Mm -hmm. for a local paper talking about how um, teen uh, female depression is, um, I think, 59 percent. It was like 36 percent 10 years ago. Um, I have -hmm. two daughters there now. They were under lockdowns during COVID. Now they're both in college. Um, But just hearing from them, hearing from their friends, generation is just adrift. And all media does is tell them panic about the climate, panic about fascism, Mm -hmm. panic about Putin. And um, oh, by the way, nothing you believe is real. Um, (laughs) You shouldn't have faith in anything. Not even your own body. Now you've been focusing a lot about this gender crisis. Uh, What is your Mm -hmm. take on this? Yeah, it's it's basically the same as yours. I think. (laughs) I mean, honestly, just a little
1: autobiographical detail, um, which people might gather. Just you know, I've written on lots of different things. Honestly, I'm a shameless generalist. I'm a philosopher, um, Mm -hmm. but I try to focus on the the intersection of what I think are really important ideas and. Uh, and the culture and public policy. I was teaching at the business school at Catholic University. I was perfectly happy, um, and I, I read in manuscript form this book called Irreversible Damage by a journalist named Abigail Schreer that told the stories of these girls. A lot of them in California who were undergoing these, you know, gender transition surgeries, based upon this idea that they had this uh, internal sense of gender called a gender their gender identity that differed from their bodies and so the way to treat this was not to adjust their false image of their body which is what you would expect it's to change with drugs and pronouns and scalpel their bodies and social surroundings to conform to this internal impression that they had Um, this seemed so insane so diabolical frankly to me that i thought okay this this needs to stop um i don't know how i'm ever going to do anything about it but my friend ryan anderson was working at the heritage foundation and i think i even joked to him let me know if you ever leave heritage maybe i'll apply for a job and you know there need to be more backs there need to be more backs to distribute the arrows he was getting almost all of them at a time yeah well then yeah honestly he left he went to become the president of ethics and public policy center another think tank here in dc the position opened up my daughter my younger daughter reminded me of what i had said oh so, you know Dad you know this would be that's your chance <laughs> so yeah that's honestly it's sort of how I ended up at Heritage I, I wanted I wanted to be in this fight because I think it's civilizational. this is not a few men with kinks doing things that are sad and regrettable but not sort of touching the center of civilization. but when you are sterilizing children, it's like okay we, we have passed a threshold here. Um, and I, I honestly think it's just something that we we absolutely have to fight and we have to stop. Most people at the time, even two years ago, thought this is this weird fringe thing that happens in a couple of schools in California. I think most people that are paying attention now realize, no, sorry, it's inside the house. The call is coming from inside the house. The federal government is pushing this, both in foreign policy and domestic. It's in your school's curriculum. It's in your elementary children's Libraries, uh, And if we don't do something about it fast, uh, we are going to be in in deep trouble. And so honestly, that's that's what got me onto it. And that's um, that's why I talk so much about it on social media.
0: Right. And I don't know, 20 years ago, let's say um, to find this kind of madness, you would have to go to certain areas, uh, certain parts of New York City, certain parts of San Francisco, certain universities, you know, in their kind of crazier departments. But now mm-hmm. it is everywhere. A few years ago, I think about three years ago, um, I found out uh, probably a great kid. Um, I was advised to use he, him pronouns with this female mm-hmm. girl. And it's like, I don't want to make waves. I don't want to cause problems. And I mm-hmm. met this person perfectly fine, perfectly nice. But it just made me sad. You know, you, you kind of yeah. looked at the background, broken home, rough family mm-hmm. time, The poor kids trying to figure out who the heck they are and uh, the culture is telling them, oh, yeah, you're this you're this completely different thing than your body is telling you you are. It's like no wonder you have Mm -hmm. depression rates so high, anxiety rates so high and uh, just all these other behavioral issues. These poor kids are being really harmed by the so-called grownups in society.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what's weird about this, because, I mean, we know if you look historically, there has been this problem, which uh, actually in the DSM four the, the the sort of manual for uh, psychiatrists, it's basically the way they they code things for insurance. That's what it's talking about. The thing called it was called a gender identity disorder. And so the disorder was that people uh, very rarely it was a very rare thing. But kids sometimes would have this usually prepubescent kids, mostly boys. Uh, in which they felt like they were a girl trapped in a boy's body or something like this. And so the problem, notice, was that uh, it was this identity disorder in which they misidentified who they were. And so the way you would treat that would be to help them adjust their minds to conform to reality, to their bodies. That Mm -hmm. was then changed in the DSM-5 to something called gender dysphoria, which describes a distress or discomfort with one's uh, sense of gender. All right so notice the shift here it's subtle but now Mm -hmm. the the problem isn't that they have a false understanding of who they are the problem is that they are just distressed uh there's a distress between what their body is like and who, who they perceive themselves to be and then there was a replacement ideology that happened behind the scenes um in which biological sex is displaced it's actually downgraded so we don't have sex anymore this sounds crazy to people But if you listen to gender ideologues they will not talk about sex they will talk about sex assigned at birth so sex is a social construct and then what people really are insofar as there anything is this subjective psychological self defined by gender identity and so treatment then is called gender affirming care it doesn't involve helping the child adjust his or her mind right to reality Mm -hmm. It's adjusting, affirming their perceived gender identity by adjusting everything else. And so we have uh, a a sort of redefinition of a very rare psychological disorder, plus an ideology that's now being taught through both social media and our influential institutions. And so it's quite clear, I think, if you look at the numbers of kids now that have this— that you have both a massive increase of gender dysphoria and then also just a massive increase of what we might call gender dis- confusion where kids are just right. baffled mixed up they're depressed uh they're distressed because of things they see on social media and there's this it's a kind of confluence of factors so that you end up with you know, something like a 20-fold increase uh, over just a period of years in the number of kids presenting with the symptoms. And now all of a sudden, it's mostly girls rather than boys. Um, it, it really, it's it's a crisis that is on the order of eugenics a century ago, if eugenics had been, uh, it just affected basically everyone. That's what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah. And I grew up, you probably did too, with This is the horrible object lesson of the Tuskegee experiments where they were like sterilizing um, young black people. And uh, we can never let this happen again. And now we're just anybody who walks into a clinic, they're absolved of um, any opportunity to give birth, whether female or male. Um, They're just sterilizing these poor kids. And what if they change their mind in a few years, which they will? Um, well, mm-hmm. sorry, too late, folks. Um, we uh messed up your hormonal balance, we messed up your brain chemistry, and we carved up your body to fit this uh passing thought that you had. And even if it lasts a year or something, the entire purpose of adolescence is figuring out your own identity. Who the heck am I? What mm-hmm. do I want to do in life? Um, what's important mm-hmm. to me? And uh, Every year, you completely change your mind, but you're convinced, I'm right, everyone's wrong. Everyone's wrong. Right, right. And uh, boy, I knew everything when I was 16. Boy, I I was a very impressive young man. Um, And then a year later, I believed in totally different things. But now you have adults saying, yeah, let's lock this in amber, your anxiety uh, that you're experiencing at 14, at 12. Let's lock this in amber and back it up by... sorry carving up your body it's just hideous
1: it is and that's what's so sort of strange about this what i think there's two things that are really helpful one is to sort of know a little bit of history so i had i've been blessed in my career to be able to focus on different topics in which science has been hijacked by ideology you see this i'd say it in climate science you see it sometimes in the natural sciences you, you've seen it in the medical sciences, unfortunately. I mean, look, we invented eugenics as a positive program. The Nazis are the ones that gave it bad branding. We're the ones that started it. It was still happening yeah. in some places. I mean, literal positive eugenics in the sense of sterilizing people against their will into the 70s in some places in the United States. We all now know that that's terrible after the fact, looking back on it. But the real key is to uh, be able to discern an atrocity justified by the medical community when you're in the middle of it and when all the social pressure is on you to conform that's the moment that we're in i would hope that the covid craziness would cause people to be slightly more skeptical of supposed medical authorities but people still you know you you hear that well the american academy of pediatrics has issued guidelines saying that gender affirming care is the only option and if you don't do this kids will commit suicide which is basically what they say yeah. Uh, WPATH, an activist or transgender organization, will say the same thing. The Pediatric Endocrine Society says the same thing. The AMA. Well, all this tells me is that you have some lobbying groups that uh, have an interest in pushing this stuff. Because I know for a fact they didn't do a systematic review of the evidence. I know for a fact they haven't used any long-term randomized control trials to, to come up with these guidelines. How do I know that? Well, one, because they didn't exist. There aren't any long-term right. studies. Um, and so the fact, you know, the, the press, unfortunately, is impressed by this that, well, but all these medical organizations uh, say this is the right thing to do. I say, OK, but so what? I mean, what based on what? Uh, you know, we know that it's not based on the normal standards they would use. And besides which, they're, uh, they're advocating something that is a moral atrocity and they don't have jurisdiction over the natural law. And so I, this idea that because some medical organization comes out with a statement, somehow that means science is spoken. I mean, it's completely idiotic. It's anti-intellectual. It's contrary, I think, to kind of the, the journalistic integrity to just sort of count on that. Um, and so it does not bother me a bit to say, I think they're wrong. Uh, I think they deserve to be sued. I think they probably will be. It will be obvious to everyone. And I'm going to remember in 20 years when we're all saying this, who the organizations were that were on the wrong side of this, because they it, they will be shown to have been on the wrong side. Um, the data is already coming out. Other countries that were ahead of us, like the UK and Finland and Sweden, have already slowed things down. But in the U.S., it's the Wild West, and you can go to your local Planned Parenthood as a girl and get testosterone on your first visit. Now, I don't care if the American Academy of Pediatrics says that's fine. They're mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> right, right. And that's what
0: we need to say, and people need to be willing to say that. And the whole thing behind it, too, is anyone who's conversant with history, political science or philosophy or social movements, it, you just— getting it down stripping it down to its bolts it's how to divide the family and that's why we need to keep parents out of the decision and put them in the hands of expert this has been a marxist goal for over 100 years and um that's why so many of us are concerned when they're like take parents out of this decision um Mm -hmm. you know they're evil monsters if they want to at least just pause and say why don't we wait Mm -hmm. a couple months no you're an enemy Uh, schools aren't telling parents about this stuff it's just horrifying and you're seeing you know increase in teen suicides and things like this you can't uh, sever this relationship between parents and teens and expect any kind of a positive outcome
1: no I mean that's right I mean that that's this is a key thing because the so-called gender affirming care according to our health and Human Services Department <laughs> okay yeah. is uh, this it's a pathway. Um, we like to call it the school to sterilization pipeline because that's what it is. But it starts with social transition in the schools. Now, most of that t- it has to happen behind parents' backs so because they might have a say. And so in many states, it does. Then it moves on if kids get on this pathway to puberty blockers if they're young enough, then cross-sex hormones, and then to surgery. But notice the crucial step is that social transition behind parents' backs because we now know that kids that start that social transition are very, very likely to go on to cross-sex hormones or to puberty blockers. So it basically fast tracks them onto this pathway. Whereas before this, before the recent craze, kids that had genuine uh, gender dysphoria before puberty Almost always work their way out of it after they got through puberty. So this, mm-hmm. this intervention, right, is itself causing the problem it's supposed to be helping. And as you said, it part of the kind of, kind of crucial way in which this has to happen is it has to come between parents and their kids. And that is actually that's not a coincidence because if you study the origins of gender ideology, you mentioned Marxism. Look, this is a form, it's a branch of critical theory, which was a form of cultural Marxism. It's a weird kind of mix of critical theory and French postmodernism, calcified and reified now in American school curricula. Yeah. Right? But it is absolutely, if you want to say, okay, what, what's its kind of primary goal? And so as far as ideologies have goals, it's absolutely to destroy the family uh, as an institution, because it's a utopian ideology that's not so much a coherent philosophy as a cultural wrecking ball, destroy the present order, and then presumably the, the, its acolytes will
0: create some, some utopia afterwards. Yeah, the vanguard will fix it also. Now we can all have yeah. surgeries and be generalists and have no children and die off as a race. Um, this is only possible in a nation that has kind of lost its focus on God, and I know you're with the Discovery mm-hmm. Institute as well, And a few years ago, I was looking at, you know, I'd write about politics or pop culture or or religion or philosophy. And I'm like, everything is one issue now. It's like they all feel like they're Mm -hmm. blended and combined uh, because, frankly, they are. We used to in polite society. Well, I'm not going to talk about religion. I'm not going to talk about politics Mm -hmm. or whatever. But it seems like they all blend together. And through your work um, with Discovery as well, Mm -hmm. it just seems to me like. 10, 15 years ago, you had this new atheist, these angry atheists. They're pure materialists. Let's mock and ridicule anyone who believes in any kind of divinity or has any faith or God. They just seem so tired and played out. And even people kind of on the left are like, "Okay, what do we do now? Oh, let's do psychedelics so I can have this deeper (laughs) metaphysical experience. It's like it, it just seems to me like this pure rationality, pure materialism, that mentality just failed miserably. And now a lot of people without God and who are resistant to God are just trying anything. If it's shrooms, fine, I'll do it. If it's some weird gender mm-hmm. fad, I'll do that too. Well, yeah, I mean, we ha- we definitely have a sort of
1: fragmentation of, of, of what happens when you lose any sense of the transcendent. I mean, I can say, just speaking for myself, I mean, honestly, all of my work, I think, has been – in some way, the expression of these two fundamental intuitions I have these convictions that the universe exists for a purpose, and every human person is an intrinsic and valuable whole that is much greater than the sum of its parts. And so, uh, that's anti-materialistic. It's anti-reductionist. Um, and you, you're, I think, you're absolutely right. I mean, the new atheism kind of it, it faded because I mean, kind of a materialism atheism. The thin soup, I mean, it's always going to be kind of a, a, a you know, a, only sort of suited for a select few. And so then the question is, OK, well, what comes after? As you said, well, it's you know, people start exploring again, but it also creates a vacuum. And I think that's that's what's happened, because here, So here's a weird thing, John, is if you think about it. OK, if there's a if materialism is true, it's just, it's just atoms colliding with atoms. Right. There's no persons. Mm-hmm. There's no free will. There's no agency. Um, and yet, yeah, gender ideology says that we are this we're this um this entity this psychological entity that knows what it is it's gender identity that's independent of the body right and in fact in transhumanism which is sort of the next step you're going to upload yourself to the internet which implies that you're this disbodied soul or something that could be uploaded right and so this shows you how what you actually have is the kind of fragments of a worldview that's been rejected but can't be completely expunged. Um, and so you have this kind of met- metaphysical schizophrenia that you see um, in in deep ecology, the kind of hostility to the human person, um, or and in gender ideology and in transhumanism. D- the way I would describe that as a Christian, so I would say, well, what's happened is that the truth about the human person is that we are this unique spiritual material whole, this hybrid. We're fully spiritual and we're fully material at one and the same time. And any account of the human person and so of society and politics um, that wants to get things right is going to somehow account for that complexity. And if you don't, if you say, well, we're just a spiritual being, the body doesn't matter, or we're just material, you're going to screw everything up. And so that's basically Mm -hmm. where we are. We've rejected the truth about man, and now we're sort of dealing in the shards.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic way to put it. And that's the thing, too. It is just kind of a Total dis with the new atheist, a total disrespect for the spiritual person, and with everything else, it's like a rejection of the body. It's just like, this body is filthy, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, Gnosticism, Manichaeism, oh, yeah. it's just this contempt Absolutely. for the physical world, the physical world is evil, it's all about this, as you say, this entity that uh, makes up who we are, and you try to get them to pin that down scientifically, of course, they hem and haw and don't know what to say, just like if you bring up quantum mechanics, they they tend, they tend to no, have the same right. panic. Um, but, yeah. yeah, you really need to consider the spirit and the and the body, uh, the spirit mm-hmm. and the flesh at the same time, and honor them both. And you don't honor them by, um, I don't know, cutting off and reassembling parts, like, you don't. I don't know, you're trying to do upgrades to a hot rod. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, what
1: what's funny about gender ideology is that it is – it's bringing certain things into relief. And so if you look at the kind of the people, say, if you're just to sort of follow this debate on Twitter, what you notice is that very diverse groups of people, you've got social conservatives and Christians and Jews. You've got atheist evolutionary biologists. You've got lesbians, right, who hate gender ideology. And in, in some ways, it's basically, well, if you still believe that mammalian biology applies to human beings, um, you're with us on this, right? right. And so it's not like you have to uh-huh. be a theist to say, well, I actually, I think male and female are a real thing. You know, there's a kind of yeah. way of talking about that in, in Darwinian terms. And I feel like th- that's an opportunity because what it means is that, okay, there's, there's something true out there and there's a team reality that says, okay, let's find out what's true and sort of anchor ourselves to that. Uh, and again, as a Christian, I'm thinking of this in theological categories. You know, Paul says that the law is written on the heart that uh even the Gentiles who did not have the law who didn't have the Ten Commandments, he's writing to the church at Rome, he says they have the law that's written on the heart, so in other words, even if you're a new atheist, you know, even Christopher Hitchens knew that murder was wrong, he knew torturing children for the fun of it was wrong, and so they still have moral knowledge, and so we still have these things that we know, even when we actually disagree on these metaphysical questions, and so I'm hoping that Okay, let's anchor ourselves to that and say, if there's a, if there things have natures, right, and we can know them, and so we're agents uh, that have freedom to argue and debate, what else would need to be true about reality in order for those things we agree on to be true? And so I'm hoping that here at the kind of bitter end, philosophically, if you think of gender ideology and gender surgery for kids, think of that as the reduction to the absurd of a particular kind of philosophical train running off the tracks. That now right at the end we can say okay now what went wrong where did we take a wrong turn that now we're sterilizing kids right and we work our way back culturally i mean honestly that that's that's what i'm hoping for and so that's uh when i get really depressed and i'm down in the ninth circle of hell studying this stuff you know and learning about the kind of next twist of this i remind myself that okay the reality's still there and there's a lot of good people that disagree on big things that that have anchored themselves to it and maybe that maybe with some grace we'll find our way back.
0: Yeah, and I think also um and maybe it's just me because I've been indifferent to the criticism forever pretty much, but it seems like people are just tired of being mocked, ridiculed, silenced for mm-hmm. having common sense positions but even just having different opinions. <laughs> My, my whole yeah. life, you know, I've, I was basically out of the womb, a conservative. And, uh, you know, I've always just kind of had that instinct, believed in God, just kind of that was just my perspective from early on. But I always love being around, for lack of a better term, weirdos, people who think differently because sure. then I learn new things. Sure. Oh, here's how other people approach things. We can have fun conversations Um, and and it's weird because I like that kind of diversity, you know, growing up, there's Mm -hmm. girls who are tomboys, there are boys who are more sensitive and we all got along great together. And now it's this strange thing where you have the people screaming loudest for diversity who want this to this enforced sameness on everyone. Everyone must think the same thing. Everyone must be the same way. And if you disagree on a tiny issue, we will try to destroy your life.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, that's that is where we are, though, because we're these are these are radically totalitarian impulses. This is not the kind of nineteenth-century imperial dictatorship, right, where the, the guy's telling you what to do, but he's not, not trying to get it down in your head, right. Now they want you, to, they want to control the pronouns that you use this had never occurred to any dictator in the 20th century that it had to get all the way down to pronouns right this is a kind of new thing and so i do think in this strange moment being and i'm only half joking being slightly neurodiverse is adaptive because you need to be able to have enough resistance right it may be that you're missing a gene and so you don't care if people hate you but you need to be able to resist this um yeah this kind of totalitarian impulse it was true in COVID. it's true with this ideology and so a lot of people that actually are quite different like i said in the coalition of people opposing gender ideology it's really diverse in every possible way but what all all those people have in common is a willingness to just have fidelity to the truth as they can see it even if a lot of people hate them and even if they get canceled and can't manage to find a tenure track job like some of the people that i know are very much in that category they would have been perfectly fine card carrying materialists uh, they just simply dissented publicly at the wrong time on this particular question and found themselves canceled i i want i want to know those people i want to hang out with those people and i want to fight with those people
0: yeah definitely they're the people and and also to those people it's kind of easy for me to say because i write i'm already uh an out of the closet conservative <laughs> socially and uh, otherwise. Um, so it's it's I'm not putting myself at huge risk at my particular job, mm-hmm. but right. I can tell you as kind of someone who always just kind of kept my politics myself. I worked in the private sector for most of my um, adult life. Mm-hmm. And uh, all it takes is one person in meetings saying that seems dumb. And everybody will jump in agreeing with you loudly. They're just waiting for that one person and not to impugn anyone, not to say, I hate that person. I want to kick them out. It's just like, no, I'm not going to go to that diversity training. You know, I I just went to three last month. I'm kind of I'm done. I have a lot of work (laughs) to do. And it's amazing that everybody will jump on board with you. People who you never expected. No, that's right. And I
1: I do think I've spent a lot of time in the last few months thinking, about this strange virtue of moral courage which is different from physical courage you know the physical courage of the athlete or the the soldier moral courage first of all it's in a sense it's available to anyone you can be a tiny little 95 pound weak woman right you can be a giant muscular (laughs) football player and a male Um, you can be young you can be old Um, you might be kind of a heathen you might be a pious christian Um, but you have this opportunity to show moral courage and you need opportunities to do that. That's kind of the great thing about the moment which we're in, is that there are daily opportunities uh, for ordinary people to just show a little moral courage, as you said. And it might just be as simple as something in a boardroom or in, uh, you know, your weekly team meeting in your business or it might be something huge, but um, that we're gonna almost all of us be called to acts of moral courage and some will be sacrificial. As you said, we're blessed. I'm blessed Mm -hmm. too. Hey, I I get paid. I've got a a job that allows (laughs) me to talk about this. I I think I'm lucky stars every day for that, but most people Mm -hmm. aren't in that position. and So, um, you know, I think we need to be holding those people up and uh, and praising them. Look, you know, JK Rowling, I didn't have that on, you know, my prediction yeah. list for this decade. The, the J.K. Rowling conservative. Oh, just stand <laughs> like, up to the mob. Yeah. I mean, I thought initially I thought, wow, this is brave. This mm-hmm. won't last a week, of course. She'll have to right. issue some uh, Nope, she is not mm-hmm. going to do it, and she's she's you know standing there, and it's just look. I don't agree with her on a lot of stuff, but uh-huh. it's just really admirable to see mm-hmm. that. I just think yeah, it's just absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, and J.K. Rowling is still standing, but uh, what's her name? Nicola Sturgeon, uh, mm-hmm. chief uh, head of Scotland, <laughs> she's gone because, yeah, she Bye-bye. tried to throw <laughs> tried to throw male rapists in female prison. For some reason, yeah. the Scots didn't care some, for that decision.
1: No, no, they didn't. And I really do think, I mean, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this Desiree News poll uh, a few weeks ago to the National Poll of the population representative sample on the pediatric gender surgery stuff. The majority of people don't like this. Even a bare majority of Democrats don't seem to think that tax dollars should be spent on this, which is telling because if you look at the states that are now debating these bills around the country, there are about 18 of them right now. There has not, so far as I can tell, been a single Democrat in any state house or senate uh, in any hearing uh, that has voted to limit these procedures. And there's not been a republican that's voted the wrong way so at the level of parties this could not be more partisan it is just one side versus the other but actually among the general population i think this is um supporting these ghoulish procedures is going to be a losing proposition long term i just hope that frankly the democrats um, get to experience that at the at the ballot box.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, Re- Jay Richards, thanks so much for being on. Where can people find you? I'll include a bunch of links in the show notes, of course.
1: Yeah, just a- actually just check uh, stuff that I write actually at heritage.org. And you can uh, follow me in real
0: time at Twitter at Dr. Jay Richards. Okay, we'll have the links in the show notes. Really appreciate your perspective. We'll need to We need a few more hours to hash all this out, but thanks for being on. (laughs) Great to be with you. Great to have Dr. Richards on. I had been looking for someone to talk about this issue for a while and uh, previous efforts. It's like people have accepted and then something came up and we couldn't do the interview. So it's good to talk to him about that. I want to cover a few other things. And very briefly, I wanted to talk about since we were talking about the faith, uh, talking about the Anglican Church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Brit Pope as I've just decided to call him right now. Um, He's decided that uh, the Church of England is going to fully embrace and um, deliver same-sex marriages to their parishioners. Why they waited this long seems odd to me. Um, You saw a lot of mainline Protestant denominations do this starting in the 90s and continuing until today. And every time the church membership plummeted, um, half of the church left at least and broke off and did their own thing. I think the Episcopalians were one of the first major ones. And uh, so you had a bunch of people saying, oh, we're we're Anglican now because the Episcopalians came from the Anglican Church in England, but they didn't want to be a part of the English Church on account of that whole revolution business made things a bit awkward. So they're Episcopalians. Well, yeah, so you had a bunch of people bolt and say, well, we're Anglicans. Well, now the Archbishop of Canterbury has said we are going to fully embrace same-sex marriage. So I guess the same thing will happen to that church. It's not like it was in great shape before, but it has created a firestorm. And there's one uh, deacon, Calvin Robinson, I believe is his name, out of the UK. He has been fighting this. But the, the most members of the Church of England are not in England. Those who, you know, are under the authority of the Archbishop of Canterbury are outside of the country, including, I think, about half of the entire church membership is in Africa. And they're a lot more conservative than uh, the folks in Old Blighty. So they're just basically saying, well, he's not our leader anymore. We're just going to do our own thing because he's violating biblical principles and uh, church tradition. And no, thanks, we're out. Which is not surprising. Um, there are a lot of um, Anglican Communion Church, who answer to African bishops, even here in Arizona, around this country, it's kind of the people who left the Episcopalian Church way back when, to, um, because they were getting too liberal, and they started calling themselves Anglicans, and that's kind of the future of the church. Um, there's a lot of uh, Catholic churches in Africa as well. Those tend to be a lot more conservative than kind of Pope Francis et al., Where they stand now, a lot of people said maybe the next pope, whatever one is invested with that office, might be from Africa. I don't know. A lot of people would be upset with that because they tend to be a lot more conservative. Same goes for the Anglicans. So why the Church of England is doing this, I'm not sure. But uh, we will see how it shakes out. Bigger news is uh, Ukraine and Russia. We're at about the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There was actually a kind of a funny side note, funny slash sad Uh, There is a Ukrainian refugee who was relocated to the U.S. in San Francisco, a Ukrainian teenager. She said, can I go back to Ukraine? It was a lot safer there because San Francisco is a nightmare. Just uh, revealed uh, the brilliance of Democrat leadership in our cities. But Biden made a big trip there. It was all covered, shrouded in secrecy. And he flew to Kiev. And There was an air raid going on while he was meeting with Zelensky. And he basically just said, look, we are in this for the long haul. We will never leave Kabul um, that that wasn't mentioned, of course. Um, But he is all in made these heavy emotional appeals. Then he jumped on a train, took it to Poland. I'm actually glad he visited Poland because they are they're kind of help preserving the West and they don't get enough credit. People complain because they're too conservative. So uh, good to give them a little bit of attention. But he's just basically saying, Look, we're all in. We're all in for Ukraine. Doesn't matter how long it takes. If it's 20 years, fine. Um, I think he's writing checks that uh, the American people are unwilling to cash right now. Um, people are in favor of helping them. But more and more people, even people who support the huge aid we've given to them so far, are kind of going, Okay, how much is enough? How much do we give them? And is there anyone checking this? these piles of money that we're giving them and making sure it's not getting siphoned off by Ukrainian oligarchs and bad actors. Um, and, it, and it's also kind of bad too, because you have a situation where Biden flies all the way to Ukraine, but he wouldn't visit East Palestine, Ohio, site of the train accident. Couldn't even get a cabinet member to uh, check that out. Buttigieg refused to go. So I think that's the challenge going forward, especially as we head into election season for 2024. You have to look like you're representing America first, and then, oh, and then we're helping out our ally, Ukraine. And too many people um, in politics in both parties are kind of, they're hyper-nationalist, but not for the USA. They're hyper-nationalist for Ukraine. And the American people aren't there yet. We're not totally sold. As long as it doesn't hurt our own bottom line as we see it, it's like, yeah, beat up on Putin Like he's a jerk. But a lot more people are just kind of concerned, OK, how much are we going to escalate this? And do we really want to risk being at war with Russia? Something you had uh, with China recently, they are getting closer to giving um, military aid to Russia and not just talking about transportation and stuff, but lethal aid to Russia. Um, yeah, China's just taking off all the wrong people right now. They are not making wise decisions, but they're in favor of it. And also Putin, I have not seen much about this. Putin yesterday, so Monday, I'm recording this on Tuesday. On Monday, he gave this two hour long speech on basically here's the anniversary of invading Ukraine. And it was weird. I got some people I can rely on um, who are experts on this issue. Uh, This one guy, Vlad, who is really commonsensical. He's kind of a Moscow expat uh, working in academia in London. And he kind of broke down the speech, you know, he obviously speaks the language and he said, it was just kind of strange because it was kind of meek. Um, But also he didn't focus on, yeah, we're going to stick into the West. We're going to kill him. We're going to clobber him. Instead. He was kind of indicating that this is going to be a generational war, kind of a forever war. And just like, look, we're going to be fighting this war forever and ever. And when the next generation takes this war over and, So uh, he was kind of like, wait, what? The next generation? So forget about uh, we're going to take over the country in a month. Now it's turning into a generational struggle. Um, At the same time, Putin was spending a lot of time saying, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Nothing's going wrong. Um, He wouldn't get into details on the war. Um, He just was like, yeah, everything will be okay. And yes, we'll be in permanent war, but things. You know, they'll probably be kind of normal for you. And there's ways that you can get on despite us being in war. And he never criticized Ukraine. He criticized the West in general, called everybody in the West Nazis and was just acting kind of defeatist about it. It's just like, oh, Russia is very unlucky and uh, we're we're just always suffering to these Western Nazis and they can do whatever they want and we can't do anything about it. So we're just going to be fighting them forever. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed like it was this weird middle road where it wouldn't please people to his right or to his left. Who knows? Um, but it was kind of this weird, sad, muted speech. Um, he obviously didn't say, "Hey, we're pulling out tomorrow, and uh, or we're going to crush them in the next week." It was kind of I don't know if defeatist is the right word, because he's not saying, "Well, look, we're going to lose." Um, He was just like, everything will just continue as it has for the past year, and it'll probably continue on for another dozen years. So just relax and everything should be fine. So I don't know a lot to digest from that speech. You just made it, but it seemed kind of odd. It wasn't terribly belligerent, but it was celebrating the grind. We're just going to grind through this for the next few decades. In other political news closer to home, Adam Schiff, everybody's favorite Adam Schiff, who looks like a Furby with his big bug eyes. He is freaking out, you can put it that way, uh, because uh, Kevin McCarthy released 14,000 hours of footage to Tucker Carlson on January 6th, taking in around the Capitol. He's panicking. He's freaking out. Now, the Democrats um, were all about did the January 6th committee to be transparent and public and open and stage manage it in prime time. They didn't want anyone seeing this stuff. They didn't want to be transparent. They wanted to pick certain clips and then focus on those and put them into the context they preferred. For some reason, they didn't seem to realize that maybe Republicans would take over and they would just release everything. Um, I think it's great. Everybody should applaud them releasing everything. Um, but yeah, Adam Schiff is just like, oh, this shows that Kevin McCarthy loves Putin. I'm like, OK, that's that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But get everything out there uh let's uh open the barn doors, let everything out, and uh let the American people decide if this was the worst thing to happen since the Civil War or nine eleven I don't believe that it was, but uh yeah, good for McCarthy he's a uh, man, who knew Kevin was this based? He's been doing a really good job. I had no positive hopes for him, but uh he's doing a pretty good job last thing Don Lemon. Now, you probably saw the furore, as the Brits call it, um, about him basically attacking Nikki Haley for saying, Hey, it's a new generation in this country, this country's in our prime, and we need leaders who are in their prime. And him lecturing people sitting between his two female co hosts on this morning show that's on CNN, which I never knew was a thing. I didn't know it was on in the morning, he was on in the morning. But uh, he just basically said, look, Nikki Haley, she's in her 50s now. She's way past her prime and uh, prime would be 30s, maybe a few women in their 40s. And uh, his co-hosts were not thrilled about this. So he was off on Friday. He did that on Thursday. He was off on Friday. He was off on Monday. Um, I believe he was off on Tuesday, too. He's going to be coming back Wednesday and he's going to be going to uh, training, sensitivity training. So he isn't a sexist pig anymore. This is Don Lemon, folks. No training is going to help him. He's kind of dim-witted. He says dumb things all the time. There's always controversies about him. Now, if you have someone who's actually interesting and smart, that can be a ratings bonanza. But for him, he just says dumb stuff. And what I don't understand about a lot of cable news is why they back these people. CNN backed Jeffrey Tubin, for instance, after just this humiliating mess I wouldn't even get into. And they were so desperate to get him back on air. And then they like, kind of fake rehabilitated him and brought him back on air. And all I could think was, you're paying this guy millions of dollars. No one is thinking, I wonder what Jeffrey Tubin thinks about this latest murder case. No one cares. Throw anyone up there. Throw uh, some kind of a ambulance chaser lawyer up there. At least he might be entertaining. But why are you paying this guy so much money just to do a mediocre job that nobody cares about? Who cares? Nobody tunes in directly for Don Lemon's thoughts on the issue. Just replace him with anyone. I don't know. I don't get it. Old man rant is done. And now for the song of the week, um, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned I've been listening to older stuff that I kind of forgot about or or just haven't listened to in a long time. And uh, I did the band broadcast a few weeks ago and uh, the past week I've been listening obsessively to one of my favorite bands of the 90s. And then they released something in 07, 2007, I think Portishead. Um, they were part of this what they called trip hop. It was a very short lived genre because most of the bands that started it moved on after a couple albums, and the bands that replaced them weren't very good. Looking at you, Morchiba, and Sneaker Pimps. But it came out of England, mostly Bristol, England, and there were bands like Massive Attack, and then shortly after that, Portishead came out. Tricky was a part of that scene. He was formerly in Massive Attack, and it was just this mix of hip-hop, and weirdness and usually kind of a darker tinge to it kind of an eerie soundtrack feel and that's where Portishead fits in the song is from their second album they only released three albums one in like 94 one in like 97 and then one in 2007 or 2012 I can't remember when the last one was they're all very different and they're all awesome this one is from the second album called Cowboys been annoying my pets when I'm working and writing and editing and listening to a whole bunch of Portisette. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks so much for listening. Please, if you have not uh, rated this fine podcast on iTunes, please do so and subscribe if you haven't yet subscribed. That will help more people find it. uh, Need to spread my brilliance far and wide. That's all I ask you. Thanks again for listening. Got another interview lined up for next week. I will talk with you then.